Welcome to the Be The Lead Podcast. I'm Brent Yates. Here we go. So today, uh, I'd like to welcome Will Zell. Uh, welcome, Will. Thank you, Brent. So yeah. uh, wonderful to be here with you today on your beautiful property. Cool, cool. Well, Will flew in uh, this morning from Columbus, Ohio, and uh, we've got a, a new setting here. Uh, I don't know, grandkid area, gym, uh, depends on who's on property, on, on how it's being utilized, but uh, we'll do a little gym work here, and uh, I think you all know that that's probably where I'm most comfortable is uh, with a hat on. I don't have my hat on today, but, you know, in a gym environment and just, just hanging out. But uh, uh, the weather could change. Uh, if you're in Ohio or, or Nashville, it's, uh, it's coming out of the Gulf, and uh, those little storms have us all kind of messed up. But... Uh, <laughs> Um, we had a, uh, a lot of people in, um, over the fourth weekend celebrating our freedom and, uh, it was a really cool weekend and we, some people left some things behind. So we've got some Ohio state, uh, memorabilia back there and, um, we, we had a good old time, but, uh, about, a m uh, maybe two months ago, I think it was, it was actually May. So three months ago, uh, I, I read the Columbus, uh, business first, I get it on my email and, um, uh, I've read literally thousands of articles uh, from Business First, and they do a really nice job um, of uh, representing uh, entrepreneurs and what's going on in the city of Columbus. And um, Anyway, I read it a couple times a day, and, and never have I reached out to anyone other than this gentleman sitting here right with us today. So uh, uh, we met uh, with my wife in our office in Columbus, uh, six weeks ago, yep. uh, what I heard, uh, in, in the article that I read, um, in May was he wanted to create value for humanity. And when you start putting humanity words out there, you better be able to back it up. But it got my attention. And I said, as soon as I read it, right, I read the whole article and what he was doing. And that's what we're going to get into today. Um, but when I read it, I was like, all right, I want to I meet this guy. And so Tyler Cook, who uh, he and I worked together on investments, uh, I said, hey, get a hold of this Will Zell fella <laughs> and uh, see if he'd like to have a, a conversation with us, which never really happened with us. But uh, Christine and I were able to meet with you in my office. Um, within a half an hour, I knew what I knew when I read the original uh, article was that uh, I uh, felt like uh, you were worth profiling, and uh, again, uh, happy that you're here. Now we've had a couple hours together, and uh, um, we're just going to see what uh, what everybody thinks, and, I, and uh, so we'll have a good day. I love it. Let's yeah. do it. Cool, cool. So uh, after I read that, we met. Um, I dug into your background a little bit and heard about, you know, you're from Bell Fountain area. Uh, I'm from Lexington originally, so we're both in, in and around Columbus and Central Ohio. Uh, but tell me, you know, and, and this is going to be a two-part podcast, uh, by the way. I want you to really, I think until you understand who he is and, and get a sense of it, like there's a lot of people that want to take your money and invest your money. Um, and we'll talk all about those different ways to do so uh, in the next segment. But But I think until you... Uh, get to know what someone's business model is and then their intention, which typically you don't get to if you're investing in equities. But this is a different situation. Let's get to know him, and then we'll I'll really dig in and see where we all want to go with this. But uh, I'm real excited to have him. So tell us a little bit about uh, your background and growing up in Bell Fountain and maybe some education and there's a couple interesting things in your high school days that uh, I think our audience would like to know, which will tell them a lot about you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, again, thank you so much for this opportunity. Yeah. It's been great to, to hang with you today. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm from Bell Fountain, Ohio, which is northwest of Columbus, about 45 minutes, pretty small community. So city population of you know 14,000 people and actually grew up out in the country for the first part of my life. Um, come from a, actually a large family, so I'm the fifth of seven children uh, to my parents, uh, five girls and two boys. Um, so kind of grew up in the midst of a bunch of sisters and a brother who was eight years older than, than I was. Um, but, you know, really kind of growing up in, in a small community, pretty typical um, journey, uh, despite having a large number of siblings. 
Uh, but you know, through middle school and into high school, I started to get really involved in uh, student um, leadership, uh, serving in in kind of social clubs, and just really starting to pay attention to what's going on in in my community. And it, it led to a really kind of interesting decision that I made as a senior in high school, um, which was I was kind of set up to go to Ohio State, live on campus in Columbus. Um, and that was kind of the winner of my senior year in high school, decided to change all of that and actually run for city council in my hometown of Bell Fountain. Um, How old were you? When you so I was 17, 17. yeah, 17 okay. when uh, I filed. So it would have been, I think, January or February of 2001. So 17 when I filed, uh, which was kind of crazy. Um, the, the Pretty much the driving, two driving reasons. Number one, um, that fall I had an internship with the president of the Chamber of Commerce in, in Logan County. And he was a wonderful man, Ed, Ed Wallace. Um, and he really kind of took me under his wing and inspired me and connected me with people, but really kind of planted seeds that like around, you know, you don't have to wait till you're older to start making a difference, which was really important. And then the opportunity just really opened itself up and my parents encouraged me, which was very helpful. Um, so I decided to put my kind of plans to go to Columbus and in, in Ohio State and live on campus on hold, decided to run for city council, um, stay in Bell Fountain through obviously graduating uh, my senior year and then the, the fall of the next year. Great, great. And so you went, you went to college. Yep. You talked a little bit about ministry. It kind of yeah. moved in there together. And uh, School of Hard Knocks all came at, seemed like at once. Tell us a little bit around that period. Yeah, know. like late teens, early 20s, it was a really interesting time period. So, you know, I, I would, um, you know, I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur now, um, and I would say that decision to run for city council was uh, my first kind of entrepreneurial-like decision, even though it wasn't starting a business. Mm -hmm. It was the first time where I was like, okay, you know, I'm going on a certain path, which a lot of people go on, and an opportunity presents itself to go on this kind of very different path. Am I willing to take the risk to go do it? And so I made that decision, and it, it really had has had kind of reverberating impacts uh, even to to our where, I, where I am today. So ran for council, didn't make it, um, but it opened up a number of different opportunities for me to stay connected in in my community. So I remained in Bell Fountain, um, and I went to Ohio State. I just commuted, so commuted up to the Lima campus for a couple of years, and then down to the Columbus campus. And along that journey. The first part of it, I was still thinking about politics. Um, I actually became a licensed insurance agent, property and casualty, and life and health. And it was, uh, I worked in an independent insurance agent, so it was my first exposure to a small business, and then served in a bunch of different uh, social organizations and community organizations. Um, that kind of all led to a really interesting time period uh, in my early 20s where um, so my, my worldview, my kind of foundation is, is Christian. Um, I was brought up in a household that, that was a Christian household. Um, but in terms of like a strong personal faith, I, I really didn't have it through, um, you know, my teen and, and early, early 20s. Uh, but that changed. Um, I had a really kind of interesting um, experience and um, had a, a very big change in my life kind of from the inside out. Um, and that led me to really getting involved in a, a local church in Bell Fountain um, and starting to serve and, and support and help and just kind of volunteer my time, uh, which ultimately led to, to going on staff at that church, which is Christ Our King Church uh, in Bell Fountain, Ohio. So um, I graduated high school in 2001 um, and went into the ministry full time in 2007 um, and then served uh, for five years there. Yeah. So... We've talked a couple of times about the the run for city council. Give us some more details, like like how did you get yourself out there? Who backed you? Who didn't back you? How much did you win or lose by? Like that's all entertaining. Did the papers were all talking about it? You had to have been kind of a on the front cover of all that, right? Yeah, it was, it was a really interesting, uh, really interesting time period. Actually, the the kind of first big kind of issue with it was um, being seventeen. So there was actually a very uh, important question, fundamental question of whether or not a 17-year-old could file to run for an office. And then I was actually 17 during the primary. Mm -hmm. So the first time people voted on me, my name was on the ballot, I, I actually wasn't able to vote for myself because I wasn't 18. <laughs> I didn't turn 18 until July. So when I, when I went to file, there was this dialogue, and it actually went all the way up to the Secretary of State of Ohio at that time, Ken Blackwell, who basically, you know, the decision back was because I would turn 18 before the general election, 
I was able to file and be on the the primary ballot, even though I was 17 and not registered to vote myself. Wow. <laughs> so, um, uh, so Logan County, kind of Belfound area, it's a, a pretty conservative area. Um, so the Republican Party is the the dominant party in in the area. Um, and I actually ran as a Democrat. Now I'm 17. I don't really know my politics uh, uh, that well. I'm still trying to figure that out in, in my life in some ways. Um, but the opportunity was to run for an at-large seat. So it was a, a city council seat that represented the entire city, not a particular ward. Mm-hmm. Um, there are three at-large seats in Belfountain City Council, and there are three incumbents that were Republicans. And then the Democratic Party was looking for challengers. Um, and so I filled one of the three slots, and it ended up being actually a full ballot. So there are six people running for three slots, the three Republican incumbents, and then the three Democratic challengers. Um, I came in fourth place, so I actually did, didn't do too bad. Um, and it was only by a little over 100 votes. Um, and so it was a really good showing. Um, I didn't have a ton of backing because, you, you know, if you think about like a dominant political party in an area is going to, you know, kind of they have the infrastructure. So not being part of the dominant one, you're, you're kind of going uphill. Um, but I had, you know, some people who really got behind me, a lot of people who supported me and, and volunteered time. I mean, I remember canvassing the city. I literally walked the vast majority of the city uh, over that fall. And, and it was also a really interesting time period because it was uh, 2001. So September 11th happened just, you know, a few weeks before uh, the, the election. So if you think about all of the kind of emotion of that time as, as a citizen of the United States, um, it, was, it was just a really interesting time period of like, I'm here to serve. I want to serve. I want to impact my community. Um, and, you know, with everything that was going on in, in the country and the world at that time, it was, it was really an honor to, to be part of that. So that's all, like, everybody always wants, wants to know who is, who is that guy and why, why is he d- did hit the papers, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah yep, it's yep. kind of a big deal. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool to, to aspire to make change uh, when you don't even really know who you are, but you know you want to make a difference. Uh, at a young age, I, I wasn't that guy, and um, so 2000. And, that was 2007. To f- you jump to like 10 or 11. Um, you know, we're here about Zell Capital, and, and everyone can Google that um, if they hear the first podcast. They, I would encourage. There'll probably be a, a period of time where you can really look up what he's doing and find details out there. Uh, when you Google and look into business articles, but um, so 2000, I know 2014 was a big one. How many businesses or a couple of small ones that you started? You said you're an entrepreneurial now. Uh, to me, I think you've always have have had that uh, in your blood. But tell me about a couple of those businesses, and then um, we'll, we'll get to the big one you're in now. Yeah. So for so like if, through the the time when I was focused on government in politics and then into the ministry. I was, I was bouncing around kind of uh, following my passion, following my heart, but really kind of asking myself, trying to discover like who I was and, and what I wanted to do in life. Um, and and it, it's true today, and I, I can kind of articulate kind of where everything kind of came together, was around this long-term vision that I had. I went through this process. I read a really interesting book called Success is Not an Accident uh, by Tommy Newberry. And this is, I was probably early to mid-20s at this time period. And, and so I kind of innately was willing to do crazy things and like go out there and, you know, thinking about life in, in a, a big way. But kind of going through that process and reading that book, it really put the long-term view in mind. I went through this exercise where I really started to think about life from the end back to where I was today. And so at the time I was like, okay, if I, if things go on average, I'm going to live till my mid eighties and it's going to be great. And I'm in my early twenties. So I've got basically 60 years, right? So if I could project myself 60 years in the future, what do I want to be proud of? Like what, what impact do I want to be thinking about when I'm in the waning years of my life, thinking about the next phase and I'm looking back, what is, what is that feeling? What is that reality that I want to have? And, and then how do you work yourself back to a, a vision that you can begin to execute on today and think about the next 12 months, 24 months, five years, 10 years? And a lot of that boiled down to building a platform where I can positively impact the communities that I care about and the causes that I care about. 
whether that's the phys- physical community that I live in, whether that's a community of peers that I'm a part of, um, or causes that I believe in. So how can I create the biggest impact, biggest value, and, and the biggest platform to be able to, to do that? And that ultimately led me to really starting and honing in on starting businesses. So if you think about in government, who do politicians go to to raise capital from? In in nonprofits, who do nonprofits go to to raise capital from? And, and obviously, there are a ton of individual and donors, and, and that's fantastic. I'm not taking away from that. But the the people who have created a platform in the marketplace and have created a success in the marketplace can certainly have influence on on community, right? And and so I've kind of pulled together my propensity to take risks and go down different paths around ideas of how I could start businesses and use that business as a platform itself. Um, and then the success, hopeful success of that business to in, um, impact in a positive way the, the communities I care about. So I my f- first business was in real estate. Um, I started purchasing properties in, in Bell Fountain in Logan County, built that for a while. Um, I, I always, I kind of tell people that I, I think I was much more of a philanthropist than an entrepreneur, um, in that real estate business. And when I went into it, um, I, I, it was really where I cut my teeth on. So made generally good deals most of the time, but in terms of what it takes to operate and build and like the details of running a business that drives success, I had a lot to learn there. So I really cut my teeth on that. And then, um, really kind of coming into the 2012 time period, I started, you know, thinking more about technology companies. And um, so reading a lot about venture capital, following, you know, all of these great entrepreneurs from Silicon Valley on on social media, um, and then just kind of my own desire around, you know, what are the big problems in life, in the world that I can get passionate about? And can you create technology or find technology and leverage it to solve those problems. So I've launched three tech companies, um, the most recent one being Nikola Labs, uh, which thankfully has been a success, but that has been on the backbone of my first two, which were failures uh, that w- that weren't able to get off of the ground, um, but were also great um, uh, experiences for me in terms of learning and really shaping who I am today as both an entrepreneur and an investor. Wow. So... Fundamentally, you said that uh, Nicola is based around energy and how it how it. Tell tell us a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, so uh, Nicola Labs is a uh, it's a spin out from the Ohio State University, um, and I have to say the Ohio State University, or else they'll find me. <laughs> well, we <laughs> Just, are in Buckeye. Yeah, we are. <laughs> so all good. Thanks for uh, mm-hmm. representing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was technology developed at Ohio State by a professor Chi uh, Chi Chen, Dr. Chen. Um, and I met Dr. Chen in 2014, and the fundamental technologies around uh, that we started with was around wireless power transfer, the idea of getting uh, electricity from point A to point B over distance without any wires, which is really, really cool. Um, and so we, we came together, Dr. Chen, myself, and uh, a group called Ecove Capital to launch Nikola Labs. Um, and you know, it, it launched as a very nascent technology. And what I mean by that is there was no existing market for the type of technology that we were trying to bring uh, to the market. So we had to spend cycles, business cycles, not only developing the technology, but looking in the world for where we could create value. Where can wireless power come in and replace either a battery or a wire to create a significantly greater experience for the, the end user? Um, and that journey ultimately led us to um, focusing on uh, sensor-based systems for manufacturers uh, that do condition monitoring. So we monitor critical equipment and tell manufacturing organizations that it's about to head to failure before it does, which is really awesome. Um, but probably the most interesting part of that journey is that the fundamental technology itself, wireless power, is really constrained by regulations uh, today. So we've been able to successfully get a, a platform or product to market and it's scaling. Nikola's in a very high growth mode right now. Um, but the fundamental technology isn't part of that today. And it, it's going to take regulators you know, changing uh, rules and, and regulations in order for wireless power to really have a meaningful impact over time. Wow. And so um, I know that's business has been going on seven or eight years and you're really happy uh, with where it's at and you've Kind of, you're not in the day to day anymore. You're chairman of the board, um, and is there other companies you're chairman of? 
Um, no, I mean, so um, uh, my wife is also uh, very entrepreneurial. She's uh-huh. a businesswoman. Uh, so um, she started Sweet Aromas Coffee. Uh, it's a coffee shop and bakery in Belfound, Ohio. Um, I'm there to help her as an yeah. advisor, partner in, in life. Um, and, you know, other than that, um, we, you know, Nicola Labs is probably the one that I'm executive chairman of. Um, with that said, when we start talking about Zell Capital and how we'll invest, I'll certainly be on the board. Um, I, I think... I always think of when I'm in, engaged in a biz, business, I think first and foremost as a shareholder. So fundamentally, you're a shareholder before you're on the board, before you're in management. Mm-hmm. And so your your existence, your whole, everything flows from creating value for yourself and your fellow shareholders, the other owners in the business over time. Um, and so when we go to invest in, um, in companies at, through Zell Capital, being on the board, having a governance role, um, and helping to shape the future of the company is really important uh, for all of the shareholders of the startups as well as the investors in Zell Capital. Love it. Um, well, I think as I started the show, I just kind of said, you know, hey, I, I want you to meet him. Um, I think you see what I see. Um, and and from here, you know, if you haven't seen Tanner and I's podcast, I think we are in alignment on making everybody um, – an investor, and certainly creating value that you can take to the next level. So uh, I would encourage you to go to his website, take a look, and then we're going to really tie into how we both think of what I just said, and that is making everybody an investor. Uh, You're on the same plane, I'm on the same plane, and I think true um, great companies have the best chance to become great or greater if everybody's got skin in the game. And so that's where we're going to go next. Take a look at Zell Capital, uh, Google M. Take a good look at, at uh, what he's doing, how he's thinking of it. And uh, he's really impressed me. So next segment is we'll really dig into the details, see how it uh, aligns with maybe your investment philosophy. But we'll talk through how where I've come from and come to to today that uh, may make sense for some of you. So uh Until next time, uh, take a real good look at this guy. Uh, He's got a great future. Good to have you, man. Awesome. Thanks, Brent. Really, really appreciate it. Cool. Now, let's take it to the next level. So uh, hopefully you've had a moment uh, or two to really dig into Will's background. Uh, You got to meet him here for 20 minutes. Um, And we'll, we'll dig into really what it looks like inside his business model and what he hopes to accomplish for the average investor. And I say average. I'm an average investor. I invest the same way you that you do. Uh, but that's what we're after is, 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 is really that, that education piece. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're all trying to make more money. We're all trying to understand how it works, but we're at a real disadvantage, uh, in a lot of areas investing until you can really get to know the guy that's putting the money in there for you. And once you have that, and that just doesn't happen, you don't meet the CEO of Google. You don't meet Bezo. You don't, like, like this doesn't happen. So if you can find a connection, uh, and typically it's friends and family, there's a little more than that because uh, the guy is out there in the public. Anyone can invest. Um, you got an advantage. You're one up today because you know the guy and you trust the guy that's putting your money to work. So we'll dig in today about his business model. I don't want to talk about it anymore. But, um, again, investing for humanity, that caught my attention. His intentions uh, is what – I hope you see, um, and let's talk about it. So you started in May uh, of this year. It, it, it got public. Tell us about, number one, I think the first question I have is, how did you um, get it through the, the markets as they are to mm-hmm. be able to have uh, investors that are non-qualified invest in your, in your startups? Yeah, so the, the journey of Zell Capital um, actually goes back several years, and um, I, I kind of view myself as both an entrepreneur and an investor. And entrepreneurs um, generally see problems or opportunities that they get very passionate about and curious about, and they go after them, and you just go all in, right? And yeah. you're just relentless. So many years back, one of the problems that I saw that I'm very passionate about, obviously, is the fact that there is this entire world of investment opportunities that exists in our society called private markets. And that's private equity. It is private debt to private businesses. It's venture capital, angel investing. There's So if you look at kind of the full spectrum of investment opportunities, there are public 
publicly available, so stocks, bonds, treasuries, and then there's this world of private markets. And this entire world of private markets is only open technically to about 13% of households in the United States. So 87% of households in the U.S. Um, are not qualified as what is called an accredited investor. And the the kind of overarching guidelines and regulations around who can invest in private markets um, have been built around this concept of being an accredited investor, which means in essence, you have a, a minimum net worth of a million dollars, and there are a few other factors, or you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. So it's a wealth test that has been used to dictate and determine whether or not you can invest in private markets. So the big question that I had and that became very passionate about is why, especially now that information is readily available online, an individual can spend months, years learning about what it takes to invest in, in private equity or venture capital, but if they don't have a particular net worth, they can't invest. And, and that, that always kind of came, became a, a problem to be solved. So I started really diving into the status quo of you know, why, why things exist as they are. And I would say the first kind of key moment actually is back in 2014 when I read about a unique type of fund structure that's called a business development company, a BDC. Um, and there aren't many of them. There are about 100 BDCs in, in, in the U.S. today. Um, but a BDC is a regulated fund. It's a registered fund like a mutual fund. It's closed end, but it's registered like a mutual fund. But BDCs can invest in private companies. And it was the first time that I saw this kind of concept of a registered fund being able to invest into private equity. Um, and kind of fast forward a few years, as we were building Nikola, I kind of kept this on the back burner, would work on a little bit. Um, but kind of 2019 really got very deep into like, all right, this is what I want to do next. Um, as Nikola Labs is starting to get to success, I had brought in the person I knew was going to be my replacement as CEO. And I started to lay the groundwork to, to see if we could create something new. So um, all of that kind of really kicked off in April of 2020 when we uh, filed with the SEC a registration statement to become or to create a registered fund. So um, again, like a mutual fund or a business development company or interval fund, it's a fund structure that's regulated by the SEC. So you've got public reporting and disclosure requirements that, that you have to, to follow. But the idea of this fund was we're going to register it with the SEC, but the investment strategy is going to be focused on venture capital. So we're going to go out and we're going to invest in early stage startup companies. So what we saw, and, and I've had really great, have really great fund counsel out of Washington, D.C., um, and they helped me really put together this registration statement because what we, what we saw was that the, the problem of opening up private markets to non-accredited investors was actually not a legal problem. And I think most people probably still today think it's a legal problem, but it isn't a legal problem. It's more of a functional kind of mechanical type problem because by law, you've got registered funds that can invest in private securities. So there's nothing that precludes a registered fund from, from investing in private markets. So we put together this concept called an access fund, a, a new type of fund. So business development company, interval fund, mutual fund, think of a new type of fund, which we call an access fund, which is a, a registered fund. So SEC registered fund, where because of the registration, because of all of the reporting and disclosures that we have to make to the public, the ability to invest in the fund is open to everybody both accredited and non-accredited investors. So no longer, you know, 13% of households in the U.S., but all households in the U.S. can legally invest into this access fund. So we, with the registration, the investment opportunity is open to everybody. And with that being said, the underlying investment strategy is a venture capital-like strategy. We invest in early-stage technology companies. So we brought these two worlds together in a unique structure called the Access Fund, and we it took us about 13 months to go through the registration process with the SEC, so from April of 2020 to May of 21. Um, and in May, they deemed the uh, fund effective, which mean, means they gave us the ability to, to launch it. Um, and it's it's the first of its kind. Um, wow. and, and for me, the it is the beginning of what I believe is a very significant shift uh, that is going to happen. And it is the opening of access 
to private markets to all investors. Um, and we're you know, thankfully positioned to be one of the early movers in this space um, and innovations just getting started. That's so fun. And, and, and so how did you get it done? And either no one else has tried. I mean, Will Zell from Columbus, Ohio <laughs> went, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to Washington. It sounded like you had some Washington influence. And, and I want everybody to invest with us if they so choose. How did you get that done in, in 2020 when here we are, like 100 years into doing, how long has the Wall Street been open? I don't, yeah, I don't, long, long time. Long, long time. Yeah. And no one's done this. We're, we're uh, specifically regulated under the Investment Company Act of 1940. So if you think about the last 80 years, basically, mm-hmm. um, legally, this type of thing could, could have been done. And, and there are actually a couple of moments in time where there was a lot of uh, a kind of a very similar narrative in pop culture around opening up private markets to the masses. Um, 1980, there was a lot of legislation passed. It's actually when business development companies were were created. So I, I think first and foremost, the curiosity of an entrepreneur, as you know, like you see a problem to be solved, you're going to go in and, and going to figure it out. And you just go layer after layer after layer after layer. And it takes time. And I mean, I've read all of the legislation, the 1940 Act, uh, the, all of the legislation in, uh, that was created in 1980. And I've, I've I'd spent a lot of time really understanding the landscape, both the skeptics and the optimists in the whole view of, of this, this topic. And, and the real breakthrough was the fact that you have registered funds today that can invest in, um, in private securities. So it, that was the key, was that it's actually not a legal issue. Um, and so the other, I would say, very positive thing that like made now the time is that the SEC um, and, you know, I'd say broader last couple of administrations have been focused on trying to figure out ways how to open up private markets to, um, to all investors. So in 2012, the Jobs Act was passed, um, which uh, basically created equity crowdfunding. So if you look at platforms like Republic.co or WeFunder or StartEngine, there are you know, websites that you can go visit today and regardless of your wealth, accredited or non-accredited, you can buy securities in private startup companies. So we're already at this trend, this beginning of uh, investment opportunities opening for all people. What I wanted to focus on is what is the fund structure, right? As, if you think about pu- investing in public markets, I could go and I could buy a you know a share of Tesla today, right? Um, and I could buy and sell in and out of, of that individual company. Or I could go and buy a mutual fund that invests in renewable energy related companies, right? And I'm investing in a basket at that stage or an exchange traded fund, which is kind of a, a basket as well, a portfolio approach. So equity crowdfunding provides that kind of that direct investment solution, the idea of buying securities in an individual company. What we wanted to create with the access fund is the basket approach, the portfolio approach, where an investor invests in a fund that has professional management that goes out in and actively, like this is what we live to do every single day. We eat, breathe, sleep, uh, investing in startups. Um, and we'll build a team that will go out and, and do the investments on behalf of our investors. And, and so the, the kind of, the fact that momentum was already heading this way in terms of like, how do we, how do we figure this out? What we simply came in and did and threaded a little bit of a needle was like, it can be done already. No new laws have to be created. No rules have to change. We just put in front of the SEC and had a great dialogue back and forth with them on the features and pros and cons of it to say, like, this can actually be created under existing law. We want to do it. And uh, they, they deemed us effective to be able to do it. That's so cool. Let's get into some of the details around the companies that you invest in, the size of investment that you make. Um, I, I think it's your expertise. It's technology. It's got the, the greatest multiples of, of any industry inside our marketplace, always has. Uh, so finding those companies that are uh, ready to go to the next level, you're like the first level. And then, you know, once you get them going and, and, and rolling for a few months, you may come back in and put more money in. But ultimately, they're, they're the companies that are doing what they said they were going to do in their business plan. And then, you know, eventually venture capital at a, at a bigger level, big money venture capitalists come in and 
they, they, they boost it from there. And, and I think what's different about what you're doing is, you know, I've done this before in my own portfolios, like, like, um, they're bigger companies at that point. Once, once I get in and I pay a bigger multiple, there's a little less risk, but I love it at this level. And I've never invested here. I have, I have, and haven't been very successful because I was never like dialed into a certain technology or, uh, it's, kind of been a hey a friend said this might be good this is a different situation where this is what you do this is the value that you add it's your experience that says hey we'll we'll, we'll find companies that are ready to go to that next level but they're really at first base like they're not even in first into first base yet so you basically make the calls on these companies you kind of have a structure of how much you'll put in and then how much you'll eventually get in. So tell us a little bit about how that works, the guidelines that, that kind of keep you inside this box, which is where we all want. I, I want my guy that's putting my money in. I want to understand what his box is. And if I like his box, then I feel safe that if he's got a box, I'm good because I said I like his box. And that's the risk box. And tell us how that works. Absolutely. So if, if you think about private markets on a spectrum on one end, you know, spectrum in terms of um, size of company and where they are in the stage of maturity. On one end, you have very large private companies that, you know, you have private equity leverage buyouts, right? So billions of dollars being invested in to, to purchase a company. On the entire end of the spectrum is uh, early stage venture capital and venture capital um, really is kind of that the, the, Kind of asset class, the market that's focused on uh, private companies when they're just in their beginnings, right? Um, and so what we focus on at Zell Capital is that part of the spectrum. So we're getting in and investing in uh, private companies when they are just getting off of the ground. Um, and, and, and venture capital, so if you take kind of venture capital as an asset class and kind of b break it out into its own spectrum, you have very different stages. So you have seed financing, then you have terms such as Series A, Series B, Series C, which are um, funding rounds that startup companies go through to bring in more capital to grow as they're making more and more progress and generating more and more revenue. So within the spectrum of venture capital, Zell Capital focuses on early stage. So seed, series A, even to a certain degree, pre-seed companies. So these are, are startups. And, and frankly, when we start talking to them, they're generally teams of people that have an idea, um, an idea to go into an existing market and create a new value transaction that is way better than the status quo, right? And these are generally very large markets where they're kind of ripe for disruption. Uh, if you think about what we have done in, at Nikola Labs in manufacturing, sensor-based condition monitoring manufacturing, that, that type of story is what you're looking for. New disruptive technology that's going where it doesn't exist today, and then really displacing the status quo and kind of anchoring yourself um, in a market to create a lot of value where a large number of customers will ultimately adopt your technology and you the consequence of that is you generate a lot of revenue and equity value grows. So the stage we invest, um, generally a startup team um, has the idea knocked, locked down, probably the beginnings of a product, um, uh, some type of minimally viable product, a first version, if you will, they've gotten to the market and have uh, a good sense of feedback from the market, whether or not there will be acceptance. So there's still a lot of, a ton of risk. So this is the kind of riskiest stage in terms of the long-term viability of, of the company itself. Um, but that's actually where I thrive most um, as both an entrepreneur and an investor is really understanding and going in and doing an evaluation on the speculative claims that a startup is making, because it is a highly speculative investment. Um, so every startup is making these speculative claims around how they can come and create disruption in a market. And what early stage investors have to do is you first, from my perspective, you have to gain conviction and understanding around what the status quo is. And then you evaluate what the startup company and their claims are against the status quo. And, and what you're looking for is, you know, ultimately startups are a game of displacement. So you want to see that a startup company is coming into a market and they're creating a significant, like the ideal 
scenario is a significantly better experience for the end user at a lower price. So think of companies like Uber, think of companies like Airbnb, right? They're able to create this really unique and very cool experience for the end user at what started out as a lower price. And they leverage technology to come in and remove a lot of the friction and a lot of the manual processes um, in order to, to create that type of value. So when we're evaluating these companies, we generally want to go in and we're going to invest somewhere between $250,000 up to $2 million. Um, and we're going to go and we're going to buy shares, typically of that company, we're going to invest for equity. And these are illiquid and again, high risk, very speculative investments. But what we're, what we're really getting, if you look at kind of the fundamental value, the kind of first principle of what we're trying to achieve is we want to buy early equity ownership in startup companies that have potential for significant growth and scale. And founding equity ownership and, and early equity ownership is an incredible, it's like the ninth wonder of the world, if, if you will. Um, and so, you know, that's where we go in and we build out, um, we've built out an entire investment process to evaluate these startups. Um, when we, you know, see ones that we like, we'll get behind them. And, and you're very active as an investor as well. You're going in, you're working with the team, you're generally on the board of directors, especially if you're the lead investor. And you're, you're not just kind of buying a stock and kind of, you know, stepping back, you're buying stock, buying equity, and you're getting in and helping the, the startups uh, achieve their plans. And, some of them fail. The nature of startups is you have a, a l decent number of them that will likely not work out. Yeah. Um, but you've got winners that can drive, you know, very significant returns. Yeah. So what do you, I mean, you're, you're right there. You know exactly what companies you want to invest in. You're looking at lots of companies. Uh, you're saying yes to a few. You, you have to hit one out of 10, one out of 20. And, you, you know, for those that have never done this, I mean, it could be one out of 30 at the level where you're buying in. I mean, they they have overheads and you're trying to pay the overheads because you want them to get them to a point where they actually have volume in their company. And then at some point, somebody goes, oh boy, we raised the volume in this. You are, are able to disrupt that technology. It's huge. And, and, and our marketplaces are so big that guys like you can understand that. And guys like me are like, how big can this be? Could it be 500 to one? Could it be 1,000 to one? Well, my experience says, yes, it can at this level. So you really only have to hit a few of them. And, and talk to me about what you think that looks like. Yep. So there, there are kind of two um, laws, if you will, that kind of govern this type of investing. Um, one is these are always asymmetric bets, right? So if you take an individual company and you invest $250,000 into it, your downside it, you, is very clearly defined, mm -hmm. right? If that company goes out of business, you're going to lose $250,000 if you can't recoup any of, of your investment, right? So your downside's $250,000, but there's an asymmetric upside, a, a non-equal upside. And that is if you buy a company that is, you know, invest $250,000 when a company's worth $5 million, mm -hmm and that company becomes worth $500 million or $5 billion, then the value of your equity has a significantly greater upside than the, the downside of losing 250,000. A good way to think about it is, you know, how like, uh, in order to double your money, right? And when you buy a company that is valued at $5 million, that company needs to become worth $10 million. If you go to the public markets in a company that's worth $10 billion and you buy stock in it, that company has to become worth $20 billion in order for you to double your money. And like in the startup world, going from 5 million to 10 million is a lot less friction or has a lot less friction than if you think about what it really takes to add another $10 billion of value to a large uh, company. So, and you're not in venture capital looking for something that can double, you're looking for orders of magnitude that can go 10x, that can go 100x, right? And that creates the the asymmetric bet. So, you're you're investing in a, a portfolio of companies. So, you're not putting all of your dollars into one company. You're spreading your dollars. So, in our offering, we're, we're raising up to 50 million. We'll probably have about 25 companies in that portfolio, and we're making 25 different asymmetric bets. So the other 
um, kind of law that governs venture capital is uh, power law dynamics, which basically means that of that portfolio, it's likely that a small number are going to be the drivers of return. So you, out of 25, you may have two or three or maybe one that actually has that that upside that gives you the type of multiple, that kind of asymmetric bet that you're making. The interesting thing is that your basis generally across the portfolio is so low in each of those companies that one that does take off, if you will, more than pays and more than makes up for the rest of the portfolio. So you're looking at kind of this power law distribution where you are expecting and, and hoping, and there's a lot of luck in venture capital investing, but you're, you're hoping that you have a couple in the portfolio that just go nuts, deliver outsized returns, you have a, a decent amount that do well, and then you're going to have a naturally a few that just simply don't make it. Um, and that dispersion of returns hopefully leads to overall fund returns that are uh, better than what you could find in more liquid markets because there is a there's a risk premium because it's an illiquid investment. Yeah. So talk about the liquidity piece yep. and if and and know that that is part of this game. Yep. So it's it's about timing. This takes a little time to mature for sure, but I think the risk the risks right are high, but I think the risks are very low that Will and his team hit a couple companies. So the liquidity piece though, this is a a small percentage of your portfolio that you would put in to Will or anybody else that brought a portfolio out like this. But I think the risk reward ratio, the isometrical risk reward that he's speaking of, this is this is where you get the education. I want to talk about the education yep. piece and then I want to talk about how you become a, an investor. But tell me about the liquidity piece. Yeah, the the education piece is is definitely important. I'm glad we're going to talk about that. So um fundamentally and and this isn't just venture capital in private markets they are illiquid markets and so liquidity is a measurement um, that we use in 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 the world of finance and society to measure how quickly you can take an asset and exchange it for cash right so if i have a dollar today and i go in and i invest in a in tesla let's say i can take that dollar and i can turn it into an asset which is a share in the company right also today, I could sell that share and bring it back to a dollar. So within a trading session, within a day, I, I can go from dollar to share to dollar to share to dollar to share all day long if I wanted to. So that is a highly liquid investment. If you look at real estate, right? So if I go and I invest in real estate today, um, and you know, let's say tomorrow I decide to turn around and sell the property, which you generally wouldn't, but let's say I buy it today, and then I'm like, all right, I'm going to sell this thing right away. Depending on how you price it, it could be 30, 60, 96 months on the market. So you're taking dollars and converting them into an asset, which is real estate. And then the liquidity is based on how long it takes you to convert that asset, that real estate back to cash. Okay. And that's measured generally in months. In private markets, liquidity is often measured in years, if not decades. So when you invest in a startup company, you're taking your cash and you're converting it into an asset, which is generally shares in that company. And it is often many years, could be three, five, seven, ten 10 years before you have the ability to convert that share back into cash. So your expectation on the appreciation of the value of that share should be much higher than your expectation of the appreciation of the value of Tesla if you're able to get in and out on a daily basis. So it is important to note that both investing directly in startups and then investing in funds like Zell Capital is an illiquid investment. You don't, your your expectation of how you would realize returns is not based on the ability to buy shares and then sell them six months from now at a higher price. It's based on your your ability to invest in a fund or in a company get equity in that company, and then let that company go through that natural progression of growth that, to your point, it takes time. It takes yeah. cycles for startups to get going. Nikola Labs, we, we've been in business for um, seven years, basically, um, almost seven years, 
and we're just now starting to see this kind of high growth acceleration. You know, some companies hit it big early, but for the vast majority of the time, it takes years. It's a very long-term type of investment. And investors really need to understand that and then think about that and talk with their financial advisors in terms of how much of your portfolio you would ever think about investing in um, into that type of asset class. Because you don't want to be in a situation where you need that liquidity, you need that cash, you need to turn an asset into cash fast, and you're expecting that to come from investments that you make into private markets or startups. Sure. So the education piece, and, and well described, um, the education piece, we want to educate our, our investors. How will they be able to, will there be a, a monthly letter, a, yeah. a quarterly letter? Uh, how else will they communicate with you to, to really get an education so that when they're ready, they, they really get what you're doing and and know what to look for when they want to go to the next level. Yep, absolutely. So um, we we see our responsibility as a brand because we are kind of leading one of the leaders in terms of creating these fund opportunities for private markets. We, we see a, a very important mandate for us to also educate investors um, around the risks and opportunities related to this, this type of in investing. And so on our website today, you, you'll see content that's there that kind of we have an infographic that talks about startups and, and how, you know, it, it's not, frankly, it's not too difficult to think about the right portfolio construction um, because you can look at how accredited investors invest today in, into these types of markets or institutions invest today. Um, so there's a lot of content that's out there and we'll continue to publish it. In terms of following our journey, uh, there is a monthly update that, that we are kicking off actually this month. And a part of that will be you know, telling the story of our own progress, how things are, are going, the good, the bad, the ugly. Like yeah. it's really important to note that Zell Capital is in of itself a startup that's trying to come in and disrupt the status quo. So it's not only it's not only investing in startups, but I'm going to tell you about the journey of as a founder of this company that I'm going through as a startup founder, right? Yeah. And and it's an, important to have that that in my opinion, it's important if you're investing in startups to have that level of visceral connection. Um, and and here's the reason why. So if you went out and went to the store and bought a, a a six pack of Coca-Cola who from Coca-Cola is going to celebrate you. Yeah. Is anybody, mm. does anybody care? Nope. They, do they even know who you are? Right? No. Right. And these very large companies and, and great that you're, you're supporting them, but like n nobody at Coca-Cola is really going to care about your individual decision to purchase Coca-Cola. Right. In a startup, however, as a startup investor and investors in our fund that are going to know our startups, if you can, go into a startup and you can introduce them to a customer or they launch a product and you buy that customer or buy that product. Those are very big things. They move the needle in a big way. I can't tell you how much we celebrated at Nikola Labs when we made our first dollar, right? Like, it, and, and we had investors at the time that were figuring out how they could help us out. And, it, and so you are looking for return. You want this, it's a financial investment and you should have an expectation of risk adjusted return. But there's also something to the, what I believe is one of the fundamental principles and great things about our society is betting on entrepreneurs and getting in and being able to impact and help companies when they're, they're at their youngest, get to that next step, get to that next level. And, and you can really, as an individual consumer, as an individual investor, you can move the needle in a big way for startups and it is incredibly rewarding. It really is. It's why I love this space so much because there, there's a ton of risk and you're, you're dealing with people who are literally putting everything on the line and they're fighting uphill because uh, it is very difficult to overcome inertia and they're fighting uphill and you can come in and not only invest capital, but you can invest passion yeah. and investment of passion is a very powerful thing. Yeah. Well, again, sorry. Uh, no, <laughs> well done. Your, your passion is, is, is infective and, and, and infectious. And it's, it's just cool to see how, where you started as a 17 year old, your passion for making a difference is, you know, it's, it's what, it's what people want to be around. And you put those people around you that you're like. And so I would think that the investors that look at this, they're like, I, I, I want to be that. I, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to see how it works. I want to see how well it does. And I'm not risking everything. 
Yep. But they're counting on you. And what I what I also like is they're Ohio companies for the most part. And there's so many of them. The venture capital needs out there for startup companies is is mammoth. And we're not going to try to measure it, but I think it's key for a startup like you, because I'm looking at you going, all right, you're a startup. You're not proven yet. You're betting on risky companies. But what I like is they're in Ohio. They're in and around the Midwest. Yep. And you're not going to be all over the place in different industries. You pretty well have it narrowed down to what you know. Yep. You're not you're not trying to know everything here. And you're going to invest in those companies that you've been around, that you get, that you understand. And you're going to get to know who's running that company. Totally different than anything I've ever seen. Yeah, it's um, there's a, a saying in Silicon Valley that great startups are built by entrepreneurs who are solving their own problem. And, and for me, I'm very, because of the pain that I went through with the first two technology companies I started, that I had this expectation that I could come to Columbus, Ohio from Belfound. I'm going to drive an hour, start build, you know, building relationships. And there has to be a ton of venture capital. It's a, the 14th largest city in the United States. It's obvious that there is a ton of venture capital there, right? And you would think that about most large cities across the United States, but the harsh reality is that there isn't. In fact, there's very little venture capital today in places outside of Silicon Valley, New York, and in the Boston area. And that becomes, from an investor perspective, that becomes actually a great investment strategy and opportunity because what I fundamentally believe there is, is there's great entrepreneurs, yeah. right? So it's a, it's a supply and demand um, situation where I believe great and diverse entrepreneurs are everywhere across the United States building companies that deserve to be uh, invested in by venture capitalists. And what we want to do is we want to find those companies. We're going to stay to your point within our circle of competence. Warren Buffett talks a lot about that. My circle of competence as an, as an investor is early stage venture. It's, I've lived it. I've operated in it as a founder and, and CEO. I've experienced the, the success and the failure of this stage of, of a company life cycle. I know it intimately well. So we're going to stay in our circle of competence and we're going to find entrepreneurs that are building great companies across the United States and particularly in the Midwest and, and in Ohio. And, um, and we're going to do everything that we can, both our team and hopefully our community of investors to help them succeed. That's awesome. How do I become an investor? What do I got to do here? So one of the unique things, typically investing in venture capital, uh, even if you're accredited, it's heavy paperwork. It's uh, quite the process. Um, one of the things that we've done is we've simplified it. So it's a purely digital uh, process to invest. Um, you can go to zellcapital.com, create your investor account. Uh, U.S. Bank serves as our back-end fund administrator, um, as well as the technology provider for the actual creation of investment accounts and making the investment. So we've got a great kind of back office infrastructure. Um, and it's it's a really simple process. You, in, you would go in and create your account, indicate the amount that you want to invest, and then every month we close accounts, um, close the month, and then um, you'll basically get a report where you will confirm uh, your investment. Um, and we're just, so we were deemed effective in May. We just took our site live uh, June 8th, and we're in that kind of first closing process now. So, you know, the first month, you're kind of working out the, the kinks a little bit, but um, I feel good about the momentum that, that we're building. That's awesome. So if you look at our website, and obviously you have, if, you, if, you're, if you're viewing in today, and what we're about is creating resources, opportunities, uh, so many resources came into my life that allowed me to move to the next level. And I think this opportunity, um, it's unique. Um, here I am, uh, here we both are in 21, and we've never seen it. Uh, but what we're betting on is people. We're betting on entrepreneurs. We're betting on the guy that's really, you're running it. You're the CEO, the co-founder. Uh, if you like what you see, I'd take a really good look. Look at Google. Uh, we're going to be tracking you to see what you do. It's, it's public knowledge right on your on your website. Uh, I know you're getting ready to invest in your first basket of companies. I think you're going to be really, really successful because of your intention. Uh, who I met uh, in Columbus six weeks ago, like, like um, my son is very similar to you. And, and when I look at you, the same age and, you know, it's about intention. How do you want to help people? How are you going to do it? Are you going to distinguish yourself as being the best and you want to be the best and you have failed? That was cool that you said, hey, I, I, I've been to the bottom. Now what do I look like as I'm rebounding? And now you're ready to take others forward. And I think that's what we're all about. We're lifting others up. Once we've gotten to a certain place, we're supposed to lift people up. 
That's what we're about. Absolutely. And so you're trying to create abundance. You talk about humidity, humility and humanity. Yep. And uh, I love it all. So we'll tune you back in. Uh, I'll let you wrap it up with anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to tell the country. Yeah, I, I, I would say, you know, for me personally, this is my, my big dream. This is my magnum opus in many ways uh -huh. as an entrepreneur. Um, and it's the, the big change I believe should happen in our country. And I want to be one of the, the leaders in, in making it happen. And there will be many others on this journey as well. Um, but I do want to always stress to investors is come into this eyes wide open. Yeah. Take the time to understand the risk. Talk to financial advisors. If you know anybody who's in small business or private business, like take time before you make the investment decision to understand the risks. Because, you know, I, I think this is the first of where you'll see a lot of opportunity to make these types of investments. And because they're long-term investments, it, you, you need, if you're going to take, let's say 5% of your portfolio and invest in, you know, these types of investments, Zell Capital may only be one of those, right? So figure out ways how you can um, diversify as this wor new world of private markets really begins to open up. So eyes wide open, very high risk, very speculative investments. My team and I are going to do everything that in our power to to make this work and, and, and be awesome. And we're going to have a lot of fun while, while we do it because fundamentally um, investing in, in startups is an exhilarating ride. That's awesome. No, we, we have felt your passion since, uh, since the open today and since I met you. And we're betting on you. And uh, every leader, the team bets on his vision to get to the mission. And your mission is to help people. And uh, I think you're going to educate them. I think you're going to give them some opportunities that they've never seen before. You just did. Mm. Uh, and we'll be watching how you do. And I think you're going to do great things. Awesome. Appreciate that. And tell me when I'm not. I'm <laughs> wide open. Like, again, like I have very candid feedback. I want, uh -huh. I want pe people to be able to reach out to me. And let's, let's get to know each other. I mean, it's, it, approachability, in my opinion, is a, a very important part of leadership. That's awesome. Thank you for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, Brent. Thanks for listening. Find more resources on BeTheLead.me.